Amen. All right. You may be seated. Quick question for all of us that are in here this morning. What do you think we would do if a full-grown man came through that back door being pushed in a little buggy, in a little, uh, not a cradle, but a stroller by his wife, by his girlfriend? Uh, if he had his binky in his mouth, if he had a bottle with him, and he was wearing nothing but a diaper. I just heard somebody say, welcome to America. <laughs> He's living his best life for sure. All right, all right. What if someone in their 70s showed up, skinny jeans ripped to shreds, walked through that back door, joined us for worship, bleach blonde hair, and they, they may, maybe they had a Bon Jovi t-shirt on that was from the first Bon Jovi concert ever. Or maybe it was Justin Bieber. I don't know. What would we think? we think, okay, this is a little weird. We certainly would love them. There's a lot of weird people here, for sure. And we're going to love everybody because I'm probably the weirdest of all. What if a teenager walked in here and they were just decked out in Paw Patrol gear? I'm talking about Marshall, Rubble, the whole gang, the whole patrol, just on whatever clothing that they are wearing. In the midst of all that, we would probably be a little confused. We would probably say that at some point along the way, whether it's the grown man being pushed by his wife or his girlfriend, or whether it's the teenager in just fully decked out Paw Patrol, that there was something not really adding up, that there's a maturity level that we see physically and in their stature, but it's not necessarily lining up with what we see in their fashion choices. We think, probably a little worried, how did this person make it this far in life? And no one's ever said anything to them. And that's just physically. We might worry about a whole lot of things outside of this church building for them, but I think that that's a lot of us. I think that we can come into this church and maybe physically we look like we have it all together. We put on our spiritually mature outfits whenever we're strolling into church on a Sunday morning. And that's okay. I certainly don't want you to feel like you have to fake it if you're going to be a part of this church. If this is a place that you are going to worship, I want you to know that you're welcome just as you are. I don't expect for you to be holier than thou or put on a mask or just be something you're not. But I think that's where a lot of us are. A lot of us are the guy that's rolling in on a stroller, spiritually, not physically. And there's some growth that needs to take place in our lives. And I want you to know if that's where you're at this morning, whether you're not in a relationship with Jesus or you're brand new in your relationship with Jesus, let's just own where we are. Just know that it's okay. You don't have to have the whole Bible figured out. I certainly don't have the whole Bible figured out. I try to be friends with people that do have the whole Bible figured out and ask them to preach every now and then just in case I'm messing everybody up that's in here. But we have to identify that in this thought war, in the warfare that the enemy is sending into our minds and his influence toward us day in and day out, that we are not quite spiritually mature, at least to the point of where we need to be. And if we were walking into church and you could see where we were at spiritually, 
we might look like the 70-year-old wearing Justin Bieber and skinny jeans. We might look like the teenager wearing Paw Patrol. We might get pushed in here on a stroller, and that's okay if that's where you are. But let's not stay there, all right? A head football coach for a high school football team isn't going to put a freshman on the starter squad for varsity and say, all right, go get after him, because that freshman is going to get destroyed. It's going to take some years of building up. It's going to take some time in practice. It's going to take some time in the weight room. It's going to take a hearty diet to get him ready. And so this morning and throughout the life of our church, wherever you are at, let's identify where we are with Jesus. Let's be real with that. Let's not be fake about it. Let's be as absolutely messed up as we are and not try to fool anybody. And let's be real with Jesus this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, 11, Paul addresses this. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. And so if we're going to stand a chance in the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in, we have to spiritually mature. Paul follows up a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. So when it comes to the war, and when it comes to our thoughts, it's time for us to grow. Let's realize that. Let's accept that. Let's embrace it. Let's lean into it. And when it comes to evil, let's be immature. Let's be infants. Let's be rolling in in the stroller. Let's be rocking the Paw Patrol gear. Let's be wearing Justin Bieber like baby, 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 oh. (laughs) Baby, 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 oh. I think for a lot of us, because we have been born into a world that is at war. We're born into sin. We have been influenced by our own flesh. We've been influenced by the world. We've been influenced by the enemy. For a lot of us, we're more seasoned and we're veterans when it comes to evil, when it comes to sin in our lives. I want you to know that in Jesus, all that is washed away and we are made clean. So when it comes to evil, when it comes to sin, let's be infants. Let's be so immature. Let's be so naive. Let's not have any idea what's going on there. But when it comes to our thinking, In our thinking, let's be mature. There is an expectation when it comes to us as believers that we would not stay in the same place with Jesus. We would not leave our Bible in the corner. We would not just worship on Sunday mornings. We would live a life of worship, practical worship, that's more than just songs, that's acted out in service and love to others. We are expected to grow in Jesus. So, third week of Thought War. We're going over strategies, we're going over tactics, not just of the enemy, but what we need to do in our lives. And so this morning, the first strategy, the first tactic that we're going to look at, the first of two areas, is we need to reframe our thoughts. First point this morning, reframe your thoughts. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So right there, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your what? With all your heart. All of it, right? Not just a little bit of it. What if Paul were to say, or what if the writer of Proverbs were to say, trust in the Lord with just a little bit of your heart. And if you're worried about something, keep that to yourself. That's okay. It'll stress you out. It'll cause you a lot of anxiety. And lean in with a little bit of your own understanding, and, but mostly God's understanding. But just 
hold a little bit of that understanding back for yourself so that you feel comfortable, so that you feel like you're in control. It's going to be all right, but it doesn't say that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It means the doubt that we have in our lives, the emotions that we have in our lives, the fears, the insecurities that we have in our lives. I know I have plenty of those. That we give those up to the Lord. We lean in with our whole heart because the enemy will lead his attack on our minds and in our lives in these places that we hold back. That we say, God, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to give you this, but I'm going to hold on to this because I still feel like I need this. And that's where he's going to attack. So we give it over to God. We don't hold anything of ourselves back. The enemy wants to wound our heart. I think that's something that we need to realize. When we look back on our lives, we're going to be doing a lot of that this morning, kind of looking back at where God has been at work in our lives, where he wasn't at work in our lives, and it worked out for his good and for our good and for the kingdom. I think there's a lot of places in our lives where the enemy has either thrown something in our minds that we believed is true, or there's been something in our lives that caused trauma that said, you know what, I'm going to hold on to my heart because I can't trust my heart with anyone else. And I certainly can't trust it with God. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean fully into Jesus and find him trustworthy. I'm not saying that this is going to be easy. I'm saying that this is going to be incredibly hard. But what I've learned in my life is when I've let go of those little things that I need to hold on to for me, to make me feel comfortable, to make me feel in control, when I give God my little bitty teddy bear and I hand it off to him and I say, okay, you want this, I'm going to give it to you. He's got something so much bigger, so much greater. He's got a teddy bear behind his back that looks like you cheated at some kind of state fair and you actually beat the game and it was the one on the top shelf that no one ever wins and he hands you that. God has proven himself trustworthy in my life over and over and over again and it's always when I lean in and trust with my whole heart and say, this is yours, not mine, where he comes through. And then verse 5, it says, lean not on your own understanding. So this means that we don't come to God with our preconceived notions. We don't have any expectations based on any past experiences outside of Jesus. We don't go back to our old thinking once we are made new in Jesus, once our minds have been renewed, once our thoughts have been restored. We don't go back to our old ways. So what does it look like to not lean into our own understanding, into our preconceived notions when it comes to our homes, with our spouses? For a lot of us, that probably means we need to stop being so stinking offended about everything. Not everything that comes out of your wife's mouth, not everything that comes out of your husband's mouth is to offend you. Now, some things that come out of your wife's mouth, some things that come out of your husband's mouth, they're to offend you. And you're going to need to deal with that as well. But let's work at being hard to offend in our homes. Let's work at loving. Let's work at serving our spouses. And I'm not talking about a blind love that looks at our spouse and just lets patterns of sin continue on and says, it's okay, I'm going to continue to sugarcoat things or I'm going to address my spouse with kid gloves so that they don't get their feelings hurt, because if we can let continual patterns of sin move on in our lives, that's enabling. We're not called to enable our spouses. 
We're not necessarily called to call them out of sin, but call them up out of sin, not just to leave them there where they are, but to help them identify, hey, here's what I'm seeing. And in Jesus, I want to love you. I want to serve you in a way that brings you up out of this mess. What about our kids? What if we don't come into our homes with our preconceived notions and our preconceived experiences in life in the way that we parent our kids? Maybe our kids' lives aren't supposed to make us happy. Maybe they're not supposed to make our lives convenient. Or maybe we're not supposed to bend over as backwards as we are for our kids and making the things that they do or making them an idol in our lives. I think for a lot of us, we need to realize that our kids were entrusted to us, their souls entrusted to us so that they could be the greatest disciples that we ever make, that we love them, that we raise them in the ways of the kingdom, to know Jesus, to find Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to bring other people to Jesus. And so when I look at how I'm approaching and raising my girls, I have to ask questions. Am I raising them in a way that says Jesus is first? Not that I'm first, not that they're first, but that we're going to display the kingdom together. And we're not just planting this church, we're not just on mission as me and Rachel, me and my wife, but we're in this together as a family, and we're going to do this as a family. What does this look like at work? and how you deal with people, and how you talk to people in certain stressful situations. What does this look like when you have a job opportunity that comes up, when there's another job that comes along and you find yourself unhappy where you are? Do you go about it in your preconceived notions and the same past experiences as you've always operated out of, or do you lean into Jesus and say, Jesus, are you in this? Jesus, how do I handle this with this person? Because I don't think they're ever going to know you. I don't think they're ever going to love you. But you know what? If you don't love them first, they're never going to love them. If we don't meet people as Jesus right where they are, they're never going to see Jesus in us, and they're never going to want to have anything to do with him. Because the person that said they were a Christian, the person that went to that weird little Asante church that talked about it every now and then, they didn't treat me like Jesus. Instead, they treated me just like everyone else, or a little bit worse, a little bit more critical. What does it look like for our community? to check our preconceived notions at the door and say, Jesus, you have put me here for a reason. You have called me here for a reason. I want this kingdom to look like heaven. In heaven as it is in Asante. On earth as it is in heaven, in Asante as it is in heaven. Where are the places in our community that don't look like heaven? Let's identify those. And then as a church, let's step in to those. Checking our preconceived notions of what ministry looks like as a church, what we can get away with, what we're expected to do, and say, Jesus, where are you moving? Okay, I hear you, I feel you, I see you, I'm going to join in on that. I got a few text messages this week from some concerned church members, and so I just want to get something on the table. If Asante Church is not your normal church, if you're visiting for the first time this morning, we're going to have a little family meeting real quick, all right? So you just, you ignore this part, or you can listen, I don't care, you're going to regardless. But I've gotten a lot of concerned text messages this week, and so I'd like to address the mega church-sized elephant in the room this morning. All right, whether it's in Facebook community groups or you were a part of the city council meeting last Tuesday, we're about to have a new neighboring church within this community. 
And I know that there's a lot of concern around that. Um, I don't know. I, I have an idea of where that comes from because in the flesh, I certainly know my initial feelings towards it. But we're not called to operate out of the flesh. We're called to operate in the kingdom. So if you haven't heard, CCV is moving to town, baby. All right. They got the sweetest piece of property in our community, Pat Tillman and 163rd. Literally every time me and Jacob take the trailers back to the trailer lot after church, Jacob's like, man, needs to be a church on that someday. Uh, we just should have made that more specific every single time <laughs> <laughs> that we drove by. He might have said that needs to be our church someday a couple of times too. So CCV is going to be putting their new campus right there. And I think for a lot of us, in the flesh, our first reaction to that could be, well, what about our church? Well, this is our community. We were here first. Well, we don't, there doesn't need to be just another mega church in the area. So I want to reframe all of this for us, okay? It was never about just our church, and it will never be about just Asante Church. That is a church mindset. We are not a church that operates out of a church mindset. We are a church that operates out of a kingdom mindset. By the year 2035, as we have said over and over and over, there will be 65,000 people living in this part of Surprise. If you don't like people, you need to move now. <laughs> Housing market's real nice. Probably get a trailer for a little bit till it goes down. There is no way on earth that Asante Church, that our church, could reach 65,000 thousand people by ourselves. We need help. And CCV is a kingdom-minded church. Do they do things differently than us? Yeah, absolutely they do. Do they have a different style of ministry, a different way of going about things? Yes, they absolutely do. But are people going to hear the gospel and be saved by the good news of Jesus? Are people going to be baptized and move further along in their faith as they start to figure it out for themselves? Are they going to be discipled? Yes, they absolutely will be. And so, no, CCV isn't going to kill Asante Church, all right? We don't need to be worried about that. But what we need to be worried about is the people in our community that aren't being reached, that if they were to die today, would die and go to hell because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And the only thing that CCV coming into the neighborhood is going to do is help with that. Kingdom-minded people reach people that have not yet entered into the kingdom because they have not yet heard the message of the gospel. And so as a church, we're going to embrace this. We're going to love this. And yeah, it might be a little different. It might be a little weird. You might see a lot of CCV bumper stickers, and there might be a lot of really poor drivers introduced to the area. <laughs> That's okay. Hopefully that doesn't hinder the kingdom. But I tell you this, the day they open up, I want to be the first one to shake hands with that pastor. I want to give him a hug. I want him to know that whatever they need, Asante Church is here for them. And I want to welcome them with open arms as we embrace the community around us, as we see it more like heaven than it is now. So lean not into your own understanding in all of these things, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Do not have an earthly mindset. Have a kingdom mindset internally. God, who do you say that I am? I'm a son. That's who I am. If you are in Jesus and you are a man, you are a son. If you are in Jesus and you are a woman, you are a daughter of the king. 
God, how are you moving in my life? How do I embrace this? And then externally, we look for him. What are you doing outside of me? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing in my workplace, in my domain? What are you doing in my community? And how are you doing it? And then we ask a very important question. It's one thing to see God at work somewhere else. But it's another thing to say, God, you're clearly at work right here, and I want to jump on board. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how can I join in on this? How can I join in on this in my heart, in my mind? How can I join in on what you're doing in my home, in my workplace? God, how can I join in on what you're doing in my community? I've been wrestling with a lot of the same thoughts that you guys have been with the whole CCV thing, but you know what? God and his sovereignty and him knowing every detail of everything that would happen my entire life still called me as a fire inspector in Texas, wondering what my next step in ministry was going to be to plant a church right here in Asante and Desert Oasis because there's a community that needs to be reached. And you know what else he knew? He knew there was going to be another church in town. And you know what? By the grace of God, may there be more gospel presenting, more Jesus following and believing churches that move into this neighborhood so that the lost can become found by the time that we get a building or by the time we just set up one more Sunday. And I look forward to that. God, where are you moving? How can I jump in? And then he closes it out. Verse 6, he will make straight your paths. That means that he will reveal himself. He will conform me. He will conform you to himself. He will reframe our thoughts. And regardless of what comes our way, and regardless of how uncomfortable all of that gets, he will be there in the midst of it. He will have our backs. So for a lot of us, this means that we need to ditch our preconceived notions on our walks with God and what that looks like. It's not going to look like your grandma's walk with Jesus. It's not going to look like your great-grandma's walk with Jesus. It's going to look like what God is calling you into as you embrace it for him. We all have preconceived notions. and We all need to check those at the door when it comes to what God is doing in our lives. About two weeks ago, I got a call from a man in this church, and I won't say his name this morning. I'll just say when I stand next to him, I feel like an infant child. He's a very large man. I will also say that he called me and said, Hey, man, what are you doing? I was like, well, it's about 7.30 a.m. <laughs> I'm just like on the third cup of coffee right now trying to be a nice human being. He said, well, I got a gift for you. And so gifts are like one of my love languages. I was like, well, Merry Christmas. Let's go, baby. Well, man, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Well, hey, I've got this thing for you. So, uh, hey, is it cool if I stop this over by your house? Yeah, man, absolutely. Can't wait for this gift. And so he comes over, and I meet him outside because, you know, I'm so hospitable and uh, <laughs> excited. And he gets out of his vehicle, and uh, he said, hey, man, uh, I noticed, you know, because I listen to your sermon sometimes that, you know, a couple weeks back you said, you know, when you and Rachel got together, you didn't really know how to use tools and, you know, take care of things. And so I was walking my dog through the neighborhood, and I just started, decided to walk by your house. And I noticed, um, man, the, your yard looks just incredible. I mean, just all the lush green weeds everywhere. I mean, like, how do you do it? And, uh, and I said, well, it's just called neglect, really. And so he goes and he gets this gift out of the back of his vehicle, and it's one of those Home Depot pump sprayers, and it's full of weed killer. And I'm thinking, 
in my preconceived notion, this guy's the biggest jerk I've ever met in my life. And then he continued to say, all right, so this is a weed killer. This is full of weed killer. This is a pressurized pump sprayer. So here's how you use it. And I was like, this guy literally thinks I'm an idiot. Okay. So he continues. And I'm thinking the whole time in my preconceived notion, this is one thing that it actually wasn't. See, I didn't realize that out of his busy schedule, he actually set time aside and said, hey man, I know you're busy. I know we have a lot going on with the church. I know you've got a lot going on with your family. I actually wanted to come over here and take care of your weeds for you. But because I'm prideful and because I'm a man and I did not want to surrender my man card that morning, I said, I know how to use one of these. And I started pumping it myself and I sprayed all those weeds and I made them watch me, okay? And I said, thank you so much for letting me borrow this. And I went to Home Depot, and I got more weed killer, and I did the backyard too. <laughs> All right? I had preconceived notions of what he was setting out to do in my morning for my house, for my family, to prove that I was not taking care of things, and that certainly wasn't what it was at all. He was there to love me. He was there to serve me. He was there to take care of me, and that was awesome. And he's only continued to do so throughout our friendship. That was pretty cool. But just like I thought he was out to get me, when it came to the weeds in my yards, we have preconceived notions of what God is doing in our lives. We have preconceived notions of what God has done in our lives. What he can do in our futures, what he will do in our futures, how we can experience him, how we want to experience him. And if we hold on to these preconceived notions, I want to promise you one thing, that if you are looking for God inside of your tiny little box, you are completely going to miss him. Because we believe in a God that is so much bigger than any box that we can put him inside of. And if you can fit God in your box, I want to tell you right now, that's not God. I don't know what it is. It's some idea of something you're worshiping that you can control, but God can't be controlled. He's going to show up in your life in ways that you are not expecting. So let's check him at the door completely. Second tactic this morning is we need to restore our perspective. Restore your perspective. There is a saying that someone is a goat. Have you heard of this saying? Do you know what it means? It means they're a farm animal, right? Real hard-headed? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means they are the greatest of all time, okay? So if somebody were to say, this person is the goat of basketball, who would you say that person is? (laughs) Michael Jordan, baby, yes. Somebody said LeBron James, they're going to need to find a new church, all right? (laughs) Second Space Jam was a wreck. (laughs) Baseball, who's a goat of baseball? Because I grew up watching the Sandlot, I would say it's the great Bambino, it's Babe Ruth. I would say we don't really know who the greatest of all time in baseball is. Everybody has their own answer, but Babe Ruth is the right answer. How about hockey? Wayne Gretzky, was there any, any like, competition, anyone else? N- never heard of him, okay. <laughs> All right, still Wayne Gretzky, solid. All right, the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> John, we got a bunch of Colorado transplants up in here. Well, I was expecting Tom Brady. I wasn't saying it's right. I was thinking more like Troy Aikman, probably Dak Prescott. He's going to prove it today. 
He will, <laughs> he will not be proving that today. <laughs> Jacob will be hoping he proves that today, and I will join him in that. When it comes to the greatest of all time, whether that's basketball, hockey, baseball, there is a greatest of all time when it comes to reframing, and that's what we're focusing on the rest of our time together today. And his name is the Apostle Paul. There were a lot of things in the Apostle Paul's life that did not go the way that he wanted them to. And he could have completely given up, but he did not. Every step of the way, he reframed, he reframed, he reframed. And when he was done looking back and reframing, he looked forward and he preframed. So when we look at Paul's life, we see that God moved in Paul's life in what God didn't do. Okay, let me say that again, because I think when we think about our lives, when we think about people in the Bible, we think, well, God moved in his life this way, that way, this way, that way. But God actually moved, and the gospel was actually advanced more in what God didn't do in Paul's life according to the plan Paul had, but according to the plan God had, than what he did do. See, Paul's plan for advancing the gospel was to eventually end up in Rome and preach it to the leaders. From that point on, the gospel in Rome, Rome would be a launching point for it to go worldwide. But when we end up seeing Paul towards the end of his ministry, towards the end of his life, when he finally arrives at Rome, it wasn't to preach the gospel, but it was to be a prisoner. We see that in Paul's life, circumstances, as they are in ours, were completely out of his control. But we also see that Paul did not give up. He reframed his thoughts. He reframed the situation, and God used it and restored it every step of the way. God stepped into his mind because he submitted himself and his mind to God, and God changed it all. He didn't say, all right, I've been beaten nearly to death so many times. I've been shipwrecked so many times. I've been bitten by a snake and somehow didn't die. This is getting absolutely ridiculous. Jesus, I know that we met. We had a little get-together, literally come-to-Jesus meeting on the road to Damascus, but I can't do this anymore. I'm going to be stepping down from what you've called me to do. I'm going to be stepping down from advancing the gospel, from seeing the kingdom displayed all throughout this territory around the Mediterranean Sea. He didn't give up. Instead, what he said was, no, God, you're in control. In anything that comes my way, I will keep pressing on, that I may finish the race, that I may complete the task, anything for the advancement of the gospel. We see in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so what do we see? We see that Paul is in prison. In verse 12, he is seeking to advance the gospel. And Paul realizes that there is a need to push God's kingdom forward, over-focusing on his own circumstances, over-focusing on being imprisoned. God is still at work. God is still using him. There is still a plan at play. The mission has not been aborted. And in verse 13, we see that the gospel has advanced throughout the whole imperial guard because of Paul letting them know that he is in prison, 
because of his testimony for Jesus, that he is Lord and that he is risen. You think about this, Paul's plan was to get to Rome and to preach the gospel to the leaders. That's how the gospel was going to take off throughout the entire empire. But what happens? He shows up as a prisoner, and he has an, a member of the imperial guard chained to him. And every eight hours, they change the guard out. So they're literally chaining people to Paul, and they're forced to hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over until what? Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. They all hear the gospel. Surely not the way that Paul would have planned it out. Certainly not the way that we would plan it out. And then verse 14, we see that Paul's imprisonment made them even bolder to speak and to share the gospel without fear. The other brothers that were following Jesus the other brothers whom the gospel had changed their lives, saw the restoring of Paul's thoughts, the restoring of his perspective, and their perspectives were transformed. Their perspectives were, were restored, and they were emboldened. They said, if Paul can handle this the way that he is in Jesus, then surely we can go on preaching the gospel. So we need to restore our perspective. There's this new show on Disney+. Plus. I know we got a lot of Disney Plus peeps in the house. I know we got a lot of Marvel people in the house as well. It's called What If? I don't know if you've seen it, but it takes place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe based off some comics a long time ago. I'm about to get real nerdy, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, I hope this makes sense down the road. <laughs> but it takes these stories of Captain America. It takes the stories of Black Panther, King T'Challa. It takes the stories of Guardians of the Galaxy and Peter Quill and Tony Stark, Iron Man, and it takes their origin stories or a critical point in this Marvel universe and it changes one tiny detail. And in that one tiny detail being changed, the entire future of this alternate Marvel universe is completely transformed. Everything shifts because of one detail being transformed. For example, one episode, Captain America didn't make it into the super soldier serum machine thing, and instead, Agent Peggy Carter got in there, and she became, well, not Captain America, more like Captain Britain, uh, but anyways, Agent Peggy Carter is what they called her. Captain America stayed a little pipsqueak and got a sweet Tony Stark uh, Iron uh, Man little suit, and that was cool. Another episode, they were all zombies, and that didn't make any sense to me, but I love that too. But in all these universes, if you change one little thing, everything else changes. And I think we have the tendency to do that in our lives. We think, if I could just go back in my story, my origin story of maybe how I joined the Avengers in my life, whatever it was, if I could just change this, everything would have been so much better. If I could have just gone to this school, if I could have just made these grades, everything would have worked out so much better. If I could have just graduated from this college, if I could have just gotten this job, I would be making so much more money. My family would be happy. They would be comfortable. My life would be so much better. If I could have just dated this person instead of that person, then I could have ended up with the man or the woman of my dreams instead of being single or instead of marrying the person that I don't really like being around anymore. We can go back in our lives 
And we can find all kinds of crazy little details to think, well, if that would have just changed, according to my plan, everything would be so much better. In church, once again, this is where we start thinking out of our own perspective, out of an earthly perspective. And we need to check that at the door. Our perspectives need to be transformed. We need to hand those over to Jesus. And instead of saying, God, why didn't you show up in my life for the things that I wanted you to do? Why don't we be like Paul and we look back on our lives and we reframe everything to see maybe it worked out for the best in my life, for the kingdom of God and what he is doing in the world that I didn't get my way. Like Paul, God has moved in my life in the things that he didn't do. As a young man, I wanted my mom and dad to be married. I wanted them to have never gotten divorced. When I was born and they split, I wish that never would have happened. But I want you to know that if that hadn't happened, I might not have hit rock bottom. I might not have seen my need for a father that would be loving, that would be present in my life, instead of some dad in my life that was kept away until every other weekend. If that hadn't happened, there's probably not a chance. I know God can work it out however he wants to. So we'll keep that in mind. But I definitely would not have come to know Jesus in the way that I came to know Jesus. When I went through high school, I met my wife. We were dating since eighth grade. I messed a lot of things up. A lot of you guys know our story. Um, we were pretty steady at the end of high school. I got a scholarship to go to the University of North Texas. Uh, that's the Mean Green, and the only person I know that graduated from there is Jacob. <laughs> that's here this morning. I had a half-ride scholarship to throw a shot put in discus, and I was about to be living my best life. As a freshman, I was going to be joining the team. I was going to be thrown further than all the seniors on the team. And then this thing called Title IX popped up and really ruined my entire plan for my future. See, I was an artist as well as an athlete. University of North Texas was an art school. There's not many art schools that you can get a, a scholarship for shot put in discus. I was a weird person, okay? <laughs> I confused a lot of people, but if I had gone to UNT, had I been a part of the athletic department, had I thrown shot put in discus, I guarantee you I would have messed things up with my wife. And instead of pursuing her and loving her and getting married to her right after we turned 20, I would have been pursuing college. I would have been pursuing the things that come along with college that distract us from what God has in our lives. And because that didn't happen, I didn't have the portfolio to get the job that I always wanted. See, the job that I always wanted my entire life was to become an art director. Because my mom worked at an ad agency in uptown in Dallas called the Richards Group. They invented the Chick-fil-A cows. They did all kinds of like Home Depot and all these huge advertisements. They had all these big accounts. And my entire life was set up for athletics to get me to the point to where I could pursue art, and art was going to get me into the job that I always wanted, and I was going to be an art director, and I was going to be happy, but because things didn't work out the way that I wanted them, I ended up going to every Dallas County community college that was available in our hometown, whether that was in class or whether that was online. Um, I don't know, a lot of you guys may not be real familiar with the Dallas County community colleges, not real prestigious <laughs> at all. I think they just pass everybody that goes through there. And instead of going off to school, I worked seemingly random jobs that I thought I was wasting my life away in. And I was certainly running from the Lord. I was running from his call on my life to join in ministry. 
but I was working these jobs, and every single one of these jobs prepared me for the ministry that God would eventually call me into once I laid my life down to him. Every skill, every trait that I took on at those jobs prepared me for the ministry I was going into. That ministry would then prepare me to be a church planter, which would then, after receiving God's call to this community, we would come out to this community and we would plant a church. That doesn't happen if I always got what I always wanted. And so, like Paul, let's not look back and wish, oh, I wish this hadn't happened to me. I wish this marriage would have lasted. I wish this person didn't treat me the way that they treated me. I wish I would have had that job. Instead, let us look back and just like a rascal flat song, say, God bless the broken road that led me straight to Jesus instead of you. That would make it a love song. We're going to turn it into a worship song this morning. We need our, uh, we need our perspectives restored, and here's why. Because when we restore our perspective, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we realize when we read this, we can't rely on our own thoughts. Why? Because there's a thought war going on. They're influenced by the world, our flesh, and the enemy. And we cannot see the entire picture of what God is doing. So we need to press into him. We need to embrace what he is calling us into. And we need to put down our own desires. We need to give them up to him. And when we restore our perspective, we close with this. Isaiah 26, 3-4. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. When we restore our perspective, when we put it back on God, when when we allow him to restore our perspective, then what happens? He keeps us in perfect peace. I know for a lot of us, perfect peace is non-existent in our lives right now. Let's stop looking back and saying, if this would have been like that. Let's stop looking forward and say, if this would just be like that. Let's reframe the past. Let's pre-frame the future and submit it to Jesus and allow him to work out what he is working out. So the question is, how do we restore our perspectives? We give them to the Lord. So the first thing that we need to do is have a relationship with God the Father. We need to be walking with Jesus. If that's you in this room today and you are walking with Jesus, you need to lay that down. Give it over to him. Ask him to renew your mind, restore your thoughts. If you have yet to do that, then there's no way that we can restore our thoughts in a way that's permanent. Otherwise, this is just a bunch of self-help nonsense. If we don't submit ourselves to Jesus, then there will not be a change that is made that will last. And so if you're in this room and you haven't given your life to Jesus, that has to be the first thing that takes place. You have to realize that you have a God that loves you so much, he sent his one and only son to die for you so that you could be put in right relationship with him, so that you could be forgiven of your sin, so that you could be made clean. It's hard to realize who you are in your identity with God if all you ever see yourself is who you used to be. You've been set free from that. You've been made clean of that. We can reframe all of that and see how God is going to use that now for his good and for yours but there has to be a relationship with Jesus. 
There has to be an accepting of him as your Lord and Savior to save you from your sin and the wrath of God and to be the Lord of your life. That means master. That means you lay everything down at his feet and you follow him. And so if that's you this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus and you would like to, on your Connect card, you can check off a little box that says, I would like to follow Jesus. Now I want you to know that's not the end of the road. That doesn't make you a believer, but that's the beginning of the road. So I want to meet with you this week. I want to send you an email Monday if that's you. So check your spam box if that is you. I want to take you out to eat. I want to take you out for coffee. I want to talk about what this relationship with Jesus looks like because I don't want you dwelling on your past saying, I am this way and God can never use me. I want you to reframe that and say, I can see God in my life this way and I can see him using me in that way. But even if it's not that way, I lay my life at your feet, Jesus. That is our desire for you. So let's lay it all at his feet. Let's reframe the past. Let's preframe the future. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now in our lives, I pray that you would identify the places in our past that we have been influenced by the enemy, by the world, by our flesh, and it's been used against us. Identify those places in our minds right now, Jesus. Show us where they are. And Jesus, step into those moments and help us to see how and what you didn't do, God. You actually showed up more than if you would have done what we wanted you to do. And Father, help us reframe those. Father, for the things that are ahead of us, help us to preframe in you, Holy Spirit, so that we may be at peace, so that we may have a restoring of our minds. Father, I pray that we would be a church that is not church-centric, that is not church-centered, that is not church-thinking, but that is kingdom-minded, that is kingdom-focused, that looks at everything that's taking place in our lives, in the lives around us, in the places that we work, in the places that we live, and we say, I can see you moving here. I want to jump in and be a part of this. Father, show us those places in the days ahead. Show us the places where we can say in the future that I wish you would have done this my way, God, and help us to be okay with you doing that your way. Restore our perspectives. Help us to check our preconceived notions. Help us to live life on mission for you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.